Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off of Rotten Tomatoes' 200 Best Movies of All Time list. Ooh, that was good. I should write that down. That actually made sense. <laughs> My name is Clay, and with me as always is Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm just dandy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, we, last week we talked about The Innkeepers, a movie by Ty West. T West? Ty West? Whatever. I think it's Ty West. Ty? Um, I think so. And I wanted to put my thumb on the scale a little bit. Usually we do it randomly uh, because... <laughs> a little bit? Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> it was all fresh in my mind and, and you had never seen this week's movie. So I figured why not do it and then we can kind of you know compare and contrast a little bit. So this week uh, we are doing Ty West's The Innkeepers. Um, and nope. I would... I'm sorry. That was last week. We're doing House of the Devil. <laughs> Everything's running together. Uh, <laughs> Time has ceased to exist. Before we get into that, I would like to to bring up one thing. Um, if you listen to the episode that we did about "Let Me In," we make a we talk quite a bit about the fact that "Let Me In" is not only on the list but is on is fairly high on the list. <laughs> yeah, and its original Swedish counterpart, "Let the Right One In," was not on the list at all, despite having an incredibly high rating. Let the Right One In is now currently on the list. And I <laughs> swear to God, when we recorded that episode, it was not on the list. This is a dynamic I, I, it list. It wasn't. I, yeah. yeah it's, you, it's, you can back it's me definitely, up. I can back you up and I will. It's They definitely are like regularly updating this list. Which, is, which I think is fun. Uh, it's going to be interesting when, yeah. we, when we double up on numbers. Um, for instance... <laughs> and the podcast never ends. <laughs> for instance, the number 10 spot is now... Uh, 2019 or 2020's The Invisible Man, which sure, um, and <laughs> yeah, it's, that, that's 90 movies better than The Shining, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and it has bumped the original Invisible Man down to like number 120 or something like that. So it is what? a fairly yeah, it's a fairly dynamic list, which you know, which will be fun. Anyway, uh, this week. We are doing number uh, 143, for now anyway, Ty West's uh, House of the Devil. Um, Amanda, you had not seen this before. Okay, so now I'm doubting myself. Oh, okay. Now who's losing track of stuff? I am losing track of everything. Like, nothing makes sense anymore. I am in some sort of downward spiral. Mm. Okay. because I, as we were watching it, I didn't remember it specifically, mm-hmm. but I kind of felt like I had seen it before. Mm. Like I knew where it was going. I was like, oh, yeah, they end up like uh, I thought they ended up in the attic. Well, uh, she does end doing... up going towards the attic briefly, but then it ends up in the basement. Yeah, it's weird. Right, right. But I but I just I don't know. I had kind of had the sense that I was like this is vaguely familiar. So mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe it's one of those ones I had like started watching really late one night by myself and maybe like fallen asleep sure. and kind of <laughs> half seen. There's it. plenty of time to do that in this movie. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's interesting. I I had seen this once before. I've maybe seen it once or twice. Uh I thought for the first time, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago shortly after it came to video uh mm-hmm. and i i enjoyed it i i think it's an interesting movie that i don't know if it holds up so well on rewatch um yeah but if you're watching it for the first time i think there is i think it 
it, it'll be interesting to talk about this because I do think it cheats a little bit in in its. Uh, uh, it doesn't do as good of a job as the innkeepers does as actually building a sense of suspense and dread. It just mm-hmm. sort of like lets you kind of do that yourself, and then it just sort of pays it off at the end. Like there's there's not a lot of meat to it, yeah. but we can get we can get into yeah. that. Um, <laughs> okay. So we're gonna play the trailer real quick, and then we will come back and talk about it. I can tell you like it. I love it. It's perfect. About the deposit, I'll agree to waive all the deposit stuff. You just give me the first month's down, we'll call it a day, all right? It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? Uh, it's going to work out. You're not the one with $84 in a bank account and I checked her right on Monday. You know what you should do. Hi, I'm calling in regards to the babysitter flyer posted outside my dorm. Tonight's big eclipse is now well underway. I feel a little weird just dropping you out here like in the middle of wherever we are. I've not been completely honest. We're from the desert, you know. You see, we we actually don't have a child. They lied to you. I know. Okay, I know you're right. But it's four hundred dollars. This equals first month's rent and then some. And all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Okay, House of the Devil from 2009, number 143 in the list with an 87% Rotten Tomato score, adjusted score, 89.58. And Wes uh, from the Penske File podcast, who's been on here with us before, was kind enough to actually provide me with a definition of how the adjusted score works, which I can read for all of you um, if you'd like to finally know. So here's how the adjusted tomatometer, if that's how you pronounce it, works. The adjusted (laughs) score, which often appears in editorial lists, takes into account the number of reviews, the year of release, and the average tomato meter scores of other films released contemporaneously. It is primarily used when comparing or ranking films across several decades. The adjusted score is not the official tomato meter score, and it is not used on a movie or TV page. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, he says it's almost like war from baseball. It compares films to the competition at the time of release. Hmm. Yeah, it's still, it's still. It, I, I feel like it's a flawed system. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, because obviously more recent movies or kind of bigger, more well-known classics are going to get more reviews. Right. Right. Yes. Which is going to weight it. <clears throat> yeah. 
but yeah, we have uh, uh, House of the Devil, 2009, directed by Ty West, written by Ty West, starring Jocelyn Donahue, Tom Noonan, Dee Wallace, Greta Gerwig, and definitely now a must-be-friends-with-the-director cameo from Lena Dun- Dunham as the emergency <laughs> call worker, because she was also in The Innkeepers in a similarly small, bigger role in The Innkeepers, actually, but uh, yeah. she, she, they, must be, they must be buddies. Yeah. Um, Amanda, what happens in this movie? Desperate to make some money so she can move into a new apartment, college student Samantha Hughes takes a mysterious babysitting job. When she arrives at the house, Mr. Allman mentions a full lunar eclipse and explains there is no child, but that Samantha will be watching his mother instead. After exploring the sinister-seeming house, Samantha soon comes to realize that her employers are hiding a horrifying secret and have plans to use her, dead or alive. Yes. So some things you'll find in this movie include wasteful eating habits, mm-hmm. knob and tube wiring. Got to get that changed. <laughs> one thing leading to another. Mm-hmm. Eventually. Unexpected unexpected face removal mm-hmm. and questionable parenting. Yes. Uh, it might be a tenuous one can, stretch in that one. <laughs> I was going to say, one, one can argue we're really, we're really shoehorning it in, but hey, I, it I, think, I think we can still count it. Yeah. I, you know, it, you're, if, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it, and that's a great place to jump off for the discussion, because <laughs> this movie takes place in the 1980s, and it opens yes. with a uh, title card talking about uh, what was known as the Satanic Panic of the 1980s, which was this... Uh, groundswell of mostly parents freaking out over heavy metal music and uh, (laughs) specifically it came from these stories of satanic ritual abuse that were were circulating around um, and became quite a a serious uh, thing for a while as far as uh, popular culture went and there were some people who were put in jail because of it. And and it was all over North America. It was the United States, Canada... Yeah, um, and it's you know it's one a, of those. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say for folks who are kind of interested in this sort of thing, there's a really great podcast by uh, CBC, which is the Canadian broadcasting uh, company, called Uncover, and their most recent season is about uh, a small town in Canada that had a really extreme uh, incidence of satanic panic. Oh, and it's, cool! It's really good. Ooh, I'm it's really have to cool. Listen to that. Yeah, there's another podcast I really like called Liar City, which uh, hasn't updated in a very long time, but it's a good show. You should check it out. And they did, um, I think they did like two or three episodes, maybe even more about satan, different um, instances of the satanic panic thing in the 80s. It's a really, really fascinating uh, story about just mass hysteria, essentially. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's the kind of thing oh. where it's like if you've ever watched... Um, the Decline of Western Civilization Part Two, the documentary about heavy metal bands. You, you'll see yeah. you'll see clips of like these uh, reform teachers talking about how the heavy metal devil horn symbol. You can find the three sixes of Satan in the, in the hand gesture and shit like that. So it was crazy. Oh yeah, and like back masking on uh, metal albums yes, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Rob Halford had to go to court and explain that their songs were not trying to rob halford from judas priest had to go to, mm. to court to explain that their songs were not about you know satan worship and killing yourself and stuff it was, it was a weird time wow um 
but ultimately, uh, there were never any actual instances of this satanic ritual abuse. It was all essentially uh, a game of telephone that went completely awry and, and, and ruined a lot of people's lives. And Mass hysteria. Yeah, mass hysteria. And what I find interesting about that, and I think my main criticism of this movie, mm-hmm. because I do enjoy this movie, but I enjoy the style more than I enjoy anything yeah. else. And I think that starting with that title card really kind of sets you up for something that doesn't really get delivered on in a super satisfying way. Like it's not I agree. It's not really about uh, there is satanic stuff in it, but it's like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And y- yeah, and it's not really satanic panic related sure, yeah. if it's a real satanic right. cult. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, and it's, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy slow burn movies. You know, we just talked about the innkeepers, which I loved. Um, this, I feel like doesn't have the, uh, the story to it. It doesn't have the meat to it that the innkeepers does. I, I agree. I think this one leans a lot harder on the atmosphere mm-hmm. and, and sort of the visual style and doesn't deliver quite so much. Yeah. And I also, I you know, we having just done The Innkeepers and a few episodes ago we had done Let Me In. And mm-hmm. I think it was another reason why I wanted to do this sooner than later because Let Me In also takes place in the same era as this, but it uses that time frame as a lot more of a uh, a storytelling device um, to uh, give the story an uh, actual um, root it in the time period. Yeah. And it doesn't lean on the style as much as this does. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a substantive, like a foundational part of the world and in, in the story and less of a, like, just kind of fun visual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of capitalizing a little bit on the nostalgia we all feel about like 70s and 80s horror Mm -hmm. movies Mm -hmm. and Um, you know and i think this one you know what i do like about it though is i do think that this was one of the earlier movies to do that and i think they actually do it in a much subtler way than a lot of other movies that came after it um oh yeah yeah and i and i think they nail like they nail the look oh definitely yeah you know what I mean? Like, the, like they're doing they're doing this sort of. I, I hesitate to call it a gimmick because I think that is selling it a little short. Mm. But they 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 are sort of like they've decided that this is the style and and this is the, the this is the time they want to reference and they want to do that in that really stylized way and then they pull it off really well. Yeah, even from like the the opening title card where they where it says House of the Devil, you get that like. Big, yeah. big retro font that takes up the whole screen. And that kind of freeze frame moment. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that stuff's great. And the the, uh, the the other thing that they nail really, really well is the zoom, the zoom lens work, which mm. which is a very dated way of filming now. But when you see it in a movie like this, it immediately feels like a, a late 70s kind of 80s movie because they never use zoom lenses anymore. It's all It's all like dolly track and stuff. Um, yeah. But the zoom lens has a very specific feel to it that I think that they, they use really well in this. Um, and the the music, too. The uh, the opening music is great. Um, it kind of starts as more of an 80s 
synth thing and then kind of more turns into like a more tra- traditional horror movie score which i thought was really nice i knew you were going to enjoy the mu- the music in this one yeah also done by jeff grace uh who did the music for the innkeepers so the, you nice. know they must be buddies um the one more th- one more thing i wanted to talk about as far as uh its connection to the real world is mm-hmm. uh, in that opening title card where it talks about the satanic panic it ends with the sentence uh it says based on true unexplained events and i've i've always found that interesting <laughs> because how do you feel do you think that if you say a story is based on true events do, does does the author owe it to the audience to be telling the truth you know, I, I I wish I wish that that is what it meant. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's kind of if if we're just talking ideally, in my opinion, I think that that is how it should function. I think if you say something is based off of true or real events, mm-hmm. then there should be at least you know a, a pretty solid basis in true and real events. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not the way it's actually used in these situations. It's sort of like all the Amityville horror adaptations and, and all of those things. Texas like, Chainsaw Massacre opens that way too. Yeah, yeah. And they also, you know, based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And it's that it's that word based. Mm. <laughs> That's the one where you can get away with a lot of, of uh, embellishments and kind of bullshittery if you're using the phrase based yes. on true events. Yeah, because I've, I've thought about it quite a bit i'm i'm in the process of of writing a a graphic novel or writing and drawing graphic novel that takes place in world war one and also features vikings in world war (laughs) one and technically i can say based on a true story or true events because world war one was a real thing and vikings were a real thing too and you know i i i'm really on the fence about it i think it depends on the kind of story you're telling like if you if you're telling a, a story that is portraying details from said events in a way that it's trying to tell the story of those events, then I feel like you're probably on the hook to be as truthful as possible. Yeah. But I think there's also a lot of wiggle room in a situation like this where based on true events kind of sets the stage for it to feel more like an urban legend and it gives it a little bit more atmosphere to the story because you know i mean all all urban legends are campfire stories i'll start about a quote-unquote true story about you know this kid jason who got drowned in the lake and his mother killed a bunch (laughs) of you know so i yeah i think in this sort of situation i think i give it a pass that's that's a good point where it is that sort of like oral tradition, urban legends, ghost stories that you pass down by word of mouth. And it's, you know, my cousin's neighbor's like aunt's kids mm. did whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I that's a good point. I think I like it in the context of like telling a, a scary story, sort of the way they do pass word of mouth. And yeah. how this kind of relates to that, but but it does. It's still kind of. I th- I think it just. I think maybe not this specific movie, but I think the fact that so many movies lean on that phrasing makes mm. it kind of annoying to me. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to have a, a certain amount of trust in the person who's telling the story to whether or not they're abusing the uh, based on a true story thing. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't know if I don't know if this movie earns that fully. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, to get into the story a bit. It's essentially, you know, we were talking about the innkeepers, and we said the innkeepers. I think your uh, your your the the um, description of the innkeepers was like a two sentences or something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was very, very <laughs> it was short. Like two people working in an inn that's closing down. Or like yeah, something like that. Which yeah. I find really interesting because this one was a little bit, you know, it was a substantial uh, synopsis uh, of, of a couple sentences compared to that one, and. Yeah. The story of this movie is essentially girl goes to babysit at house. It turns out there's no baby. It's a devil place. And <laughs> and I I think that's my biggest problem with it, where in The Innkeepers, they did such a great job of adding so much subtext and story into the plot. Like it's it it doesn't have a ton of plot, but it has a lot of story. Yeah. This one, yeah. This one has the problem of it doesn't have enough of either for me. And there's a uh, a screenwriting. Uh, I can't remember if it was a book or something, or um, where the person who the author said uh, there's a difference between a story and a situation. And I think the innkeepers is a story. I think mm-hmm. House of the Devil is a situation. I like that. I like that a lot. Because I, I that that kind of distills down what I think part of my problem with with this movie is, and mm-hmm. that's not to say that I dislike this movie. I I think it just, I like like you were saying. I also enjoy a good slow burn mm-hmm. scary movie, mm-hmm. but I just feel like the, the, this one it kind of is trying to set up all of these like pieces or or things at the beginning like ooh there's a lunar eclipse and mm-hmm. you see all this stuff and there's this whole convoluted way that she even gets the babysitting job mm-hmm. um and then there's the whole you know pizza with your friend and driving out to the house and the whole conversation like there's just a lot that i feel like you could have done this in a in a tighter context and still had it be basically the same story just with less uh like less of the kind of peripheral elements and Mm. then so so then those those elements aren't integral to the story they're not like foundational or really important you could take them away to make to have almost the exact same story but they take most of the atmosphere with them right right which is then sort of like I don't know. It just kind of lessens the quality of of the moments and the beats that you are supposed to care about. Mm. They're just sort of flooded by these things that that feel a little bit like window dressing to me in some ways. Like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like why do we need to have all these uh, these big uh, spooky back and forth phone calls with the guy? <laughs> yes. Like oh, Mister Ullman, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um. I understand that it's it's used to set up the fact that like there's something off about this job and there's something sketchy about this guy and this family and it's supposed to like build some tension before you even get to the house. Mm-hmm. But it just it makes the beginning so slow. Like yeah. almost everything up until she gets to the house could be cut out. Yeah. 
Yeah, like there. Why? Why is it that he calls her back and offers her the job, and then like stands her up, and then like yeah. then he tells the story when he talks to her again of, about another girl who didn't work out. It's just yeah, it's really kind of odd and sort of convoluted, and like that. Yeah, and seeing her go to the go to the, try and get this apartment. Yeah, well that that's fine. <laughs> I that that I don't mind because that at least gives you. It's <laughs> I find that sequence funny because. It, I think it works for the story because it gives you something that she needs the money for. Like, why why mm, does she true. stay in this situation uh, that seems to be very iffy at best? You know, it's like, well, she needs this yeah. money to pay for this great place that she's got. Sure, you need you need your character to have motivation. That's fine. Um, but what's funny about that sequence is I never noticed this before, but on watching it this time, it almost seems like that opening sequence with the apartment is a red herring for like what the actual house of the devil is because <laughs> that is that is exactly what uh greg was saying to me when we were watching it is he was like i thought the apartment was going to be like yeah. the apartment of the devil <laughs> and especially because the woman who shows her the place is uh d wallace who is uh she's you know been in a bunch of uh, uh I, I don't know how many horror movies she's done but she's the most prominent one is she was in The Howling. She's the lead in The Howling. So she's she has oh. a genre track record. She's the mom from E.T. Um, oh, yeah. And she is like second build in the movie when the credits start. So it yeah. seems it seems like that whole thing is going <laughs> to have a lot more prominence. And she never comes back and the apartment never comes back. Yeah, and she's very eager to get uh, Samantha, the main character. She's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just just first month's rent. And we'll call it good, and just get me the money whenever you want. We just want you to move in." My gut has a good feeling about you. It's just yeah. like very like, why is she trying so hard to get her to take this apartment? Yeah, and then nothing. I mean, other than the motivation of of this is why she needs money, nothing comes of it. Right, right, and you know, I I think. I I think I would probably disagree a little bit that they they probably could shorten up the stuff at the beginning. I don't think that it's bad. I think that it's I like the the tone that it's setting. I think the real problem is when she does get to the house and is left alone in the house, there's no like pieces falling into place escalation or anything. Yeah. Because usually in a movie like this or in a story like this, you find out at the end of the story that there was a certain set of, of – uh, there was a certain mechanism like put into into motion that, that put ended her up in the position that she's in or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. And so like her coming to the house was because she was specifically chosen for whatever and she had to be – she was the one they wanted at the house and blah, blah, you know, that kind of bullshit. Um, but this one, when she gets to the house, she literally doesn't do anything for like 25 <laughs> minutes and she, she snoops. Yeah. She snoops <laughs> and she, you know, dances around listening to the fix, which is fine. I mean, it's a good song, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, and on this, this time it really stood out to me. The weirdest thing about it is it seemed very realistic, uh, in that I didn't, I totally identified with her bringing a bunch of stuff to do and then not even attempting to do it. Like homework or something. I do that shit all the time. Anywhere, anytime I go somewhere, I always bring like a like a huge book or like yeah. my iPad. You've got like four to do work. different activities. Yeah, I never touch them. <laughs> um, when she does start snooping, that 
they don't shoot the house really to make it seem creepy. It just kind of seems like a house without any lights on. Yeah, yeah, it's just a dark old house. And it's, it doesn't, I don't think it really does a lot to build the atmosphere because she's not scared while she's snooping around and there's not really an implication that the house itself is scary. Um, yeah, and it, and it seems like it feels like a missed opportunity knowing that uh, creepy witch grandma is mm-hmm. like in the house with yeah, her. Yeah, there's no interaction like, there. Why not even just have her sort of like spooky in the background a couple times or like have a door creak closed after she's what you know like you could do so much with the like i'm here watching some old lady who is quote unquote able-bodied according to the guy who hired me and i haven't seen her but i keep hearing her make weird noises Mm -hmm. i keep hearing her move around upstairs i think she's following me like there's so much you could have done that would have been this really fun, almost kind of cat and mouse feeling. Yeah, like maybe Where, the yeah. maybe the the grandmother is, um, not testing her, but like checking her out to see if she's worthy of what they're gonna do at the end. You know? Yeah, or she's just excited, like she knows what's coming, so it's kind of like, you yeah. know, like keep like peeking down at her, or maybe you want her to be kind of scared. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I I can't believe that they have this setup of bringing someone to a creepy house under the pretense of babysitting and then throwing the curveball at them that there's no baby, it's my weird ass creepy old mother. <laughs> and then and then they end it with them him going, "Don't worry, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to interact with her at all. Just stay down here." Why do how how come you don't ratchet that up even more and be like, "Listen, I'm sorry. The only thing you have to do is you have to go into her room and give her her dinner or so, something that puts her in contact with this creepy grandmother character. Anything, you know how how do yeah, you have or, them in the house together and they don't interact whatsoever? Or have it be you know you're you know you don't have to do anything. You just need to stay on the first floor. Don't go upstairs. Yeah, and when she does go... It, and then it, once she starts... Yeah, and then she goes upstairs yeah. and she she opens some doors and rummages through some stuff she's not supposed to and the grandmother starts, you know, menacing her or whatever, yeah. which sounds so lame. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's... that's Maybe more of my problem is so much of the the beginning, like, third of the movie where they're kind of setting up getting her to the house, mm-hmm. it feels kind of elaborate. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the plot, like, like, this goes back, I think, a little bit to, to what you were saying about how the synopsis for this movie was so much longer than the one for The Innkeepers. Because I think The Innkeepers has a sort of elegant simplicity to it, mm-hmm. where you don't need to explain a lot of things to make it make sense or to give you an idea of the basic plot. It's just, you know, these two people work at an old New England inn. Mm-hmm. That has a background of, you know, ghost stories. The inn is closing down. It's the last weekend. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, you know everything you know. Like you need to know. You you know kind of where you are physically. You know where you are in time. You know that they're going to be sort of isolated. You know that there's some like spooky shit is going to happen. Um, whereas with this one, it just it feels like a lot of effort at the very beginning to set up what's kind of a, a 
I don't want to say classic horror movie plot, mm-hmm. but yeah, like a men- menacing a babysitter. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't get much more sort of soup, soup and what is what is that <laughs> phrase? Nuts and bolts. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't. It just. It feels like it doesn't really have a second act. You know, like the the setup is fine, and the the climax is fine. It feels a little rushed when they get to it. Um, but yeah. that that middle body where it's you are in the titular house there's not there's no story there it's just it feels overall it feels to me like it was an idea where uh ty west was like oh what what about a girl that goes to answer a babysitting ad and then it turns out to be there's satan satanists in the attic or whatever it's like yeah that's a cool idea and then they didn't really expand (laughs) on the story past that you know um, yeah, yeah. I, I think now that we're talking about it, I think maybe that is where my problem really lies. Maybe the part of the reason I get so frustrated with the beginning portion is because a lot of the stuff that feels very kind of intentionally set up and all all the different like elements and moving parts that you get at that beginning uh, quarter or third of the movie from the opening to her getting to the house or, or getting left alone in the house it feels like there should be more. Mm. It feels like there should be more things that sort of come after that right. in between, you know, they leave and the door closes and she wakes up screaming on the basement floor. Right, right. Well, <laughs> and I, I think one of the reasons why Innkeepers works with so little and this really doesn't is because Innkeepers, so much of the work is done by the characters in the movie. And in this mm-hmm. one, they spend... 40 40 minutes setting up these characters and then they take every one of them away except the main character and so yeah, and she doesn't have much of a character to her right yeah she's just sort of like a you know brunette essentially uh, <laughs> she's one of those she's one of those characters where it's like tell me something about her character without telling me what she looks like or what she does for a job it's like you, you kind of can't yeah. um and and like uh, uh, to speak of uh, of the actors a, a bit, uh, you have Tom Noonan in this movie, who is one of the all time great movie creeps. Uh, yeah, oh ar- yeah, arguably the greatest <laughs> movie creep of this of the uh, last thirty years or so. And he's great in this movie. His uh, I think yeah. the telephone scenes are great. I think the introduction to him is really cool where they don't they don't show they kind of just show him from the waist and then they kind of pan up and um, Yeah, yeah. That scene where he's telling her what's going on and he's getting really kind of he's trying to keep it together but he's getting really annoyed. I thought that was really that was a great kind of intensity <laughs> that is legitimately terrifying. Like if you saw someone do that, that would really freak you out, I think. Um, yeah, no, he, he's he's great, and like even his wife, the uh, the 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 woman is. I think she's like the right level of sort of just like weird and bizarre mm. and kind of eerie. Like in a, like she's very off putting. Yeah, which I think works well for her character, but it just kind of it, it leaves Samantha so much blander in comparison. Yeah, and then they then they leave. They they yeah. and then yeah, they're gone until the last like ten minutes or so of the movie. Whereas would I would I much rather prefer to see this girl in this house have to deal with whatever's 
creepy shit's going on and also Tom Noonan? Absolutely. Oh yeah, like like if this if this movie had been about uh we got a live-in nurse for our ailing like my ailing mother-in-law and she just has to like live in the house with them for a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the creepiest fucking movie. Or I mean even if it's just the two of them, like I think that would be really effective too cuz then it it really heightens the the questionable situation she's put herself in cuz you're you start thinking to yourself the whole time shit is he gonna do something to her you know like it's that that's that sort of thing where it's you know uh we need a babysitter but actually what i needed was i needed someone to watch over x while i while i attend to my mother you know what i mean so it's like yeah yeah so then you have those two in contact then you can actually get into a story which on the surface seems like what is this how far is this girl gonna go to get this money she needs for this dream place that she has uh and then eventually turns into this weird satanic thing or whatever um (laughs) you know it just it gives you a lot more to bite into instead of watching her essentially wander around an empty house for 25 minutes yeah, I, I think what we're both kind of saying is that that we both wish that there was just more for her to do yes. in that yeah. middle portion, where, where there was just less sort of like as relatable as it was her kind of like meandering through the house and just sort of like being generally fidgety and, and kind of bored. Um, it's it just doesn't make for that great of a scary movie. Whereas. In the innkeepers, even in the sort of quieter moments of that movie where uh, the main character had to do her, like, basic duties as somebody who works at the hotel, like, bringing towels places. Mm-hmm. Like, she had other characters that were very, like, fleshed out to interact with. Yeah. And then when she was alone, we knew that she was a kind of amateur ghost hunter. Right, right. So we knew that she sort of had this other, like, interest and and, and drive pushing her to, like, go to certain places and do certain things that kept the the movie feeling like it was moving. Yeah, yeah. And she, and you learn about her, her character through her interaction with other characters. Whereas in this one, you know, you don't learn anything about her at all. I mean, aside from the fact that she needs a babysitting job to get money. Like you've, she, she is yeah, she, just, she goes to college. Yeah. And she is <laughs> just roommate sucks. pretty, pretty bland. Like you've got Greta Gerwig essentially stealing a scene between the two of them oh just by eating a piece of pizza, you know, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, I, I want to see a movie about that character. I don't give a shit what this girl's doing. I honestly, I think this movie, how would you feel if this movie had Greta Gerwig being the one who was the babysitter? Honestly, what I would probably do, uh, I would keep it as it is, and then I would probably kill the babysitter off in the first 20 minutes after she drops her off at the house, and then have Greta Ah. Gerwig go back to the house and have to figure out what's going on, and then she ends up being the one who gets, uh, who goes through the meat of the story. See, what I wanted from, from this movie... When when it was when Greta Gerwig, whose character name I think was like Megan or something, um, when she so first of all she is a really good friend. She is. She's a very good friend. Yes. Where she is just like you're fucking insane. I'm not leaving you. And and Samantha's like no no come on I need this money like don't ruin this for me get out of here. And then she's like look I'm gonna I'm gonna drive all the way back out into this middle of nowhere creepy place in the middle of the night by myself to come pick you up at 12:30. Yeah, why doesn't you know the, 
maybe this was her plan. I don't know. But she pulls off the road into this graveyard to smoke a cigarette, which seemed like a bit much to light a cigarette. I assumed what she was doing was she was pulling off the road and she was just going to hang out there until and not go all the way back because I thought she was going to wait to see their car go by or that and then drive back and be like, look, I'm just going to hang out with you. And when they get here and they're mad, I'm here too fucking bad. Yeah. Or that, or, you know, that seems to be the, uh, the appropriate response would be fine. I will leave for 25 minutes. Then I will come back and hang out here. (laughs) And then I will leave 20 minutes before midnight and come back and pick you up. Yeah, I was super bummed. So I feel like her death, when when she's shot by the guy out in the woods who appears to help her in the graveyard to help her light her cigarette. Mm -hmm. Who um, seems to be Tom Noonan and his wife's son. I think so, because they even say they have the... I think Tom Noonan says we have an adult son. And I think he, Um, later in the movie when he gets stabbed, I think he yells mother or something like that. Ah, I think I missed that. But, But I... I feel like they I mean I I know that the point of having Greta Gerwig's character get shot then is so that you know Samantha is totally alone, she's completely isolated, nobody knows where she is now. Mhm. Which I understand why, but it also just I, I wished I wish they had kind of waited and like let her come back mm. like just, just let her come back and, and show up 20 minutes early right and then right. they have to deal with like you know maybe she's like she shows up early and they're, they're not expecting her and she interrupts them and maybe she still gets killed but it gives samantha the chance to like get up and get away right right yeah i just feel like it could have been it could have been used better like even if you were still going to kill that character yeah absolutely or and i mean even that 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 son character he shoots her in the face and then he disappears until the last like 10 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, I assume he del- yeah, he's why, the one that delivers the pizza, but why isn't he like lurking around outside? Yeah, I don't know. Like making sure she stays, making sure no one else shows up. Yeah, it is it is really weird that this movie like <laughs> purposefully removes anything for the main character to have to do or confront until the last 10 minutes and that makes it all feel really rushed when they finally get to the the devil stuff yeah and and it's it's interesting because so so this movie came out in was it 2009 yes and the innkeepers was Uh, a couple years later i think it was 2011 okay i i i think you can definitely tell that this one was first yeah because I think I think between these two movies, you can see Ty West sort of chewing on the same kind of like atmospheric and thematic elements and mm. the same type of horror. And I think when he gets to the innkeepers, he's figured out a better way to accomplish the kind of thing I think he was trying to accomplish with House yeah. of the Devil. I think you're where right. there is that sort of slow meandering. You know, those moments where you're there's not a ton of, of stuff coming at you from the outside where a lot of the tension is built psychologically. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think uh, uh, what I said at the beginning about feeling like it kind of cheats a little bit and then it doesn't really hold up on rewatch. I think part of that is um, 
that sense of of creepy atmosphere and causing your own subconscious and your own mind to do a lot of the heavy lifting that he does Mm -hmm. really well in the innkeepers he doesn't pull off in an organic or like uh uh technical way here in this movie you're kind of you're if you haven't seen before i feel like you're default in that headspace because you're expecting something to happen where they have yeah. not really given you a ton of reason to expect that something is going to happen. Um, it's just like, well, creepy house, maybe creepy person, <laughs> who knows, creepy stuff might happen. So you're automatically like setting yourself in this tense situation, which ultimately it, it doesn't super pay off. Whereas in Innkeepers, he's giving you a reason to be afraid of the space. Yeah. And he's actually, he's filming the space in a, in a in a way that is triggering your uh, subconscious fear of dark spaces stuff, in a, in a way that he doesn't in this one. And so I think you're right. I think he's I think he's going for the same thing. Um, yeah. But I think he's a lot more successful in the innkeepers. Yeah, he's just it's just it's more refined by the time he's gotten to the innkeepers, and it sort of has kind of weeded out some of these problems that we're talking about with this one. Yeah, I think so too. Now. To kind of wrap it up a little bit, um, I think this guy makes pretty interesting movies. I think he's definitely got a style. Um, He knows how to shoot a movie. Uh, He he knows how to get a good performance out of people. Mm -hmm. I don't know why he's never really broken through. Yeah, it's an interesting... It's definitely an interesting question. Because... So so he's done... The two movies we've been talking about, and have there been any other kind of, like, ones that he's done that would have, like, any name recognition? Um, Let me look it up real quick. I got it right here. Uh, He has done, he did House of the Devil. Uh, Then he did Cabin Fever 2, which might have been a career misstep. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Most likely, it came out in the same year, I'm going to say Cabin Fever. Probably he did that one first. Um, Yeah. The Innkeepers, he shot a segment of that anthology movie VHS. Um, oh, okay. He did something for ABCs of Death. He had a movie in 2013 called The Sacrament, which was basically, it was sort of like a fictionalization of the, the Jonestown Massacre. Oh. Uh, he did another movie in 2016 called In a Valley of Violence, which was a Western with uh, Ethan Hawke and John Travolta. And that was the last movie he's done. He's done exclusively TV since then. Huh. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm a little confounded by like, seemed like he was kind of trucking along and starting to do like, yeah. Yeah. Well, like in the, in the, uh, in the, you know 2009 onward he was like the name that i kept hearing in the indie horror world it was always like oh ty west he did house of the devil you know it it, that was he was like the star of that that group was ty west yeah and uh yeah it's i mean obviously he's still working but i'm just i'm i'm i don't know i'm i'm not sure all of his movies seem to be fairly low budget and fairly under the radar um yeah so maybe that has something to do with it maybe it's the kind of stuff he likes to do is tough to finance or something i don't know 
It's too bad. Yeah, I, I mean, it is it is too bad because I I would like to kind of see. I would I would love to see a horror movie from him now. Yeah, I agree. You know, with like a few more years of of directing and, and a few other projects under his belt, and maybe like somebody willing to give him a little bit bigger of a budget. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I, I think mean, it would be really interesting. I have no obviously no way to to comment on this in any fashion, but I don't. Maybe he's hard to work with or something. I don't know. <laughs> You know, it's, that happens sometimes. Clay, are you throwing shade at Ty West? Are I'm, you starting no, rumors about well, Ty I mean, West? I may as well. If it'll get us on the map, I'm happy to throw anybody under the bus. The Hollywood no, but, reporter know, is here. You never know. You, you never know how that stuff shakes out. No, no. You're, it, it, it's, a, it's a fair question. Like, sort of like where has, has he not put out anything bigger because he doesn't want to or because yeah. there's not an audience for it or some other reason? It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm I not sure. I guess we'll never know. So uh, uh, body count is fairly low. I think it's well. I guess you count if you count those people who are in the attic. It's only like four, maybe five. Um, and this no, uh, it's, it, is it more than that. So so there's if we want to count the people in the attic, mm-hmm. which is a family of three, mm-hmm. and then Greta Gerwig. Yep. And then and then the the. The son. Four Satanists? Well, she doesn't kill Tom Noonan, but she kills the mother and the son. Does she kill the grandmother? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe she's still out there. I think what this is driving us to is that the body count is fairly inconsequential uh, because the only death that really means anything is Greta Gerwig, and she's not really, even there, it's more of a shock than anything else. It's brutal though. Yeah. That's a brutal scene. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the gunshots to the heads in this movie are pretty fucking intense. Yeah, yeah. Like w- when Samantha at the very end decides, if I can't stop this, I'm just going to shoot myself. You for a very there's a you know brief second where you see like a big chunk of her head is gone. Oh yeah, that bullet definitely goes in one side of her head and out the other. I don't know how Which she survived that. <laughs> I was just going to say, so for like the last shot where it's her in the hospital bed, I just like, was like, it's going to take a lot more than some gauze wrapped around her head. Yeah. Yeah. To, to help that kind of wound. Yeah. That was, that, it was very well done, that but very a, intense. That was a JFK level headshot. She's not coming back from that. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. And uh, she also, she, uh, she gets on board with what he's telling her fairly quickly to the point where she just blows her own brains out. I mean, well, I yeah, guess isn't isn't, you, isn't she having like pains and stuff though after they draw the symbols on her on her stomach? Yeah, they 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 well, she they do pour like a bunch of blood down her throat. So, <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't make your stomach hurt, I don't know what will. But um, I guess I guess by that point, if you've been tied to a bloody pentagram and had blood poured down your throat and there's this weird monster grandmother creature trying to impregnate you and if so, if if one of them is telling you you're now carrying satan's child or something i would probably say you may as well if coin flip it at at worst you know yeah you're I mean, either you're, you're either right. doing the right thing or you've just you know completely miscalculated everything it is interesting though because like you 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 have a good point about she jumps to it pretty pretty confidently and pretty quickly 
without a whole lot of evidence that there's anything actually supernatural going on. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I guess you got to end your movie sometime. So. Well, and she is. They, they do heavily imply to outright state that she's pregnant. Yes. Yeah. At mm-hmm. the end. So. Yep. Yep. But, uh, you know, blood moon. People do crazy things, I guess. <laughs> Full now, lunar eclipses, guys. Now, before we go. Uh, you mentioned something hmm. when we were watching the movie last night that I wanted to follow up on and get the story behind. Uh, there's a scene <laughs> in this movie where um, Samantha goes into the bathroom and turns on all the faucets so she can, like, <laughs> cry, I guess, but not really. I don't really know why she does it. And you mentioned yep. that you once tried to sink a ferry you were on <laughs> by turning on all the faucets in the bathroom. I have a couple questions. Yeah. Sure, um, shoot. Why did you do that? And why did you think specifically that would cause the ferry to sink? <laughs> okay. Okay, look. Here here here's the story. Um I was I was like 16 mm-hmm. that tracks. and I yep. Um and my poor sweet mother scraped together the money to send me on a school trip to Italy and Greece. Mm-hmm. And uh I get seasick. I get motion sick. I mm-hmm. get seasick really bad. And we had to do an overnight ferry Oof. from Italy across the sea sure. to Greece. We had to go like down and around one peninsula and then down and around and up the other side of the other one. Um, so I had a friend who had motion sickness pills. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how many to take. And she told me like, oh, my dad takes like three or four. Oof. And that's, you know, an adult man, and I'm a 16-year-old girl who weighed about 12 pounds. 16-year-old um, adult man, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. So I I took all of the motion sickness pills oh, and um, was out of my fucking mind <laughs> and still seasick. Wow. <laughs> so, so I was like... I don't know if one can trip balls on Dramamine, yeah. but I was. Yeah. And uh, I was still nauseous, and I just hated... I was so, like, I was pissed that I still felt sick. I hated everything. I I just kind of decided I would rather be dead than on this boat mm-hmm. any longer. Mm-hmm. So I started going into all the bathrooms I could find systematic. And this was a big ferry. We yeah. were, like, you know, there were, you know, probably maybe a couple hundred people on it. Damn. Um you know, it had cabins for sleeping and everything and, you know, cafes and lounges and shit. It was not, like, nice, and but it were, was big. You were willing to potentially murder 200 people. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just kept going from bathroom now, to bathroom and turning on all the faucets and just being like, if I fill it with water from the inside, we'll sink. Yeah. And I can just die. Now who's the psychopath, And then I'll feel Amanda? better. Now who's the psychopath, <laughs> Look, I I wasn't like having a, a deep spiritual connection with Jack Torrance or anything. I was just in a state of abject physical misery, and I one of care us, more about my own feelings than other people's. One of us was recognizing the reality at the base of a fictional <laughs> character relationship, and one of us <laughs> attempted mass murder. So I'm just going to leave it out to the people to decide on that. Look. One. Look, one of us was a 16-year-old on mind-altering substances. The other is a an adult man. In full possession of his faculties. Well, you I'm just saying you took when in Rome very quickly, <laughs> very literally. I don't know. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah, I'm just going to sink an entire ferry. That's yeah, all. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> well, before, <laughs> do you have any final <laughs> thoughts on? Uh, okay, I, the the this was number uh, 143 on the list. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about the placement on the list, and uh, do you think it deserves to be higher or, or lower or removed? I I. I have a tough time with this one, considering that the innkeepers is not on this list at all. Sure, sure. Like, I I really think if you told me to just wholesale, like, I could just wholesale swap this out with the innkeepers, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm on the fence, because I feel like if it's going to be on the list, 143 isn't a terrible place to be. Uh, I'm looking at what's what's lower than 143, and there are some really good ones like Audition and Videodrome and Scream is 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 uh, almost 20 points lower. Yeah. Um, so eh, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, lost, but yeah, I would say it 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 could probably go lower for me. Um, yeah, if it was like 177 or something. Yeah, that feels like a really solid number. Yeah, some somewhere in the <laughs> 170s, sure. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to do it for House of the Devil. Um, next week, what are we what are we watching next week? Next week we hit the randomizer button, beep, boop, 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 and it landed on number ninety five, which I'm going to say right now is criminally low. The <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, that, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not like top top fifteen at least. I don't know what's going on here, but yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know what's wrong with you people. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So we're we're gonna we got a heavy hitter uh, to steal a phrase from last podcast uh, coming next week with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Another one that is uh, purported is mentioned as being based on quote unquote true events. So we can talk about that a little bit more next time as well. I'm very excited. So uh, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be great. Uh, Amanda, thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me, Clay. Anytime, anytime. Next time, (laughs) we'll be back with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Bye, everybody. Bye.